we, we had the opportunity this weekend to go and spend some time with some family. Um, Cali is only three hours away, but those three hours are like, anybody ever driven to Kansas City? I don't know what it is, but like once you hit St. Joe, like sandbags get hooked to your eyelids and it's just like, I don't know what it is. Like you just get mad tired. Like I don't know, I don't know what it is. Um, but as we were there, we got to spend some time with Cali and um, can, can we do something really weird? Can everybody scream hi Cali this morning? One, two, three, go. That was dope. That was dope. Good morning, Cal. Um, and uh, I, I got to spend some time with her. Growing up, she and I, uh, the culture in our house, say our house. So my house. It might be weird for you, but this is our house, right? So me and my sister growing up, we would, we would bathe together. We would get dressed together. We would sleep in the same bed. Like that was just what we did because it's family. And it's not weird because it was our culture. Say our culture. There are certain things that you're going to experience in other people's culture that will be weird to you because it's not what? Your culture. So this weekend, we have two beds, two queen-size beds, like huge beds, huge beds. I don't like sharing my space with anybody, let alone my sleeping space. But I hadn't seen her in so long. So we drove down to Kansas City. We get into this hotel room, and I, I always pick the, the bed that can see the door. Callie always picks the bed that's closest to the wall. So I can protect her. I never thought about it this way, but that's just the way that I was trained because that's my culture. So that means if somebody kicks in the door in the hotel room, the first person that they'll see will be me. And the last person that they'll see is her because I'm protecting her because that's what I learned in my So, uh, So I'm, I'm sitting in the bed. I'm like, okay, cool. I get this bed. You get that bed. And then out of nowhere, I get out of the shower. I get in bed. The, the, the lights are like off. And there's this warm body in the bed. And I was like, I know. There ain't no. There's nobody in this bed. And Callie looks at me, and she says, I just, I just want to sit here. And there was this moment of where, like, what we used to be brought up on literally, like, captured me in that moment. Like, I was captured by the things that we had learned all those years ago in a second. Like, because it was something that was ingrained in me over and over and over and over. My parents said, don't put your hands on women. Never yell at your sister. Never put your hands on your sister. I don't care if she cocks a pistol and puts it at your head. You never lay hands on her. You never yell at her. You always protect her. You always protect her. So on all the moments where I was justified in putting my hands on her, and all of the moments where I was justified letting her hear the two cents that came out of my mouth, I was always called back to culture. So my question to you this morning is, what is the culture of the church? It used to be that the church used to be a hospital. Hospitals don't turn people away that are bleeding. They don't turn people away that stink. They don't turn people away that have an alternative lifestyle because their only mantra is we give life, period. But the culture of the church has begun to change, where it's all about how much you can dress, how many scriptures you know, and how you worship. And people get so confused that when the person that walks through the door looks like how they used to look. So what this series is going to do over the next couple of Sundays, it's going to reintroduce the culture of what this place is supposed to be. Look at your neighbor say, we're about to learn how to do church. Look at your other neighbor say, we're about to learn how to do church. You online, look at your person over across the dinner table or the breakfast table, whatever they're eating, or no, boiled eggs, say, we're about to learn how to do church. So I, I just want to give you guys a little bit of uh, of of context before I jump into the word. Amen? Okay, I want you to listen to this. Now, everything that I'm writing down, you can find on the internet. I know that a lot of public speakers, they have this thing where they'll just say things, and they'll say, like, 25% of such and such is blah, 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 blah. And people are like, man, it's because he's standing up on the stage, and he has a nice jacket on. That must be true. But what I want to make sure that you do this, this, this entire series, I want you to do something I've talked about before. I want you to do one thing. Can you say lean in? Like, like, literally, I want, I want everybody to, like to lean. Just, just lean in a little bit. I, I want you to take everything that you think you know about church, and I want you to throw it away. Like, everything you think you know. Like, you think you know how to pray. You think you know how to worship. As Pastor was talking about, you think you know how to fish. But based off of the word of God, we have lost sight of what the culture is supposed to be in the church. Like, we, we, we've missed the mark of what Jesus told us to do. And Jesus only really told us in his word that the church was responsible for five things. Can you say five things? I'm going to get there, but I, I want to set a foundation. Is, is that okay? We good? You follow me? Okay, listen to this. In a 2002 survey of 1.15 million, I'm sorry, of 1. 
of 1,159 U.S. churches, 1.56 million people were surveyed. The the, the Reiner's research team found that only 6% of churches were growing. They define growth as not only an increase in church attendance, but it's the church's ability to keep up with the pace of the ever-growing population. So there are churches that are growing by hundreds and thousands of people, but they have no power. So they have people in the seats, but they're not necessarily changing people's lives. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, have you ever been to a service that was extremely powerful, but you didn't feel anything? Have you ever been to a place uh, or to like a, a, a club or don't answer that? or to a concert, or heard something on the radio that wasn't even talking about Jesus, and you felt goosebumps, that means to tell you that everything that you feel isn't God. Everything that, that makes you feel like, wow, this is beautiful, this is amazing, it's not God. And church people, we're getting to this point where we are becoming so romanticized by the feeling that we really don't even know when the presence has come into the room. Can I talk? Can I talk? So we get into this point where we're pimping out our salvation to feel good on Sunday morning. But we don't even know what the hand of God really feels like. Like, we don't even know what his voice really feels like. So we fall in love with the platform, but we don't even know the man that's behind them. Look at your neighbor and say, why do you come to church? Like, no, like, really ask them, like, why are you here? Like, for what? Like, what is the point of you getting up in the morning, washing your behind, putting on some makeup, putting on some jupe? Don't worry about that. That's the old, the old heads that, that y'all know. Like, what is the point of you being here? Because if it's not to fulfill a purpose, you're wasting your time. Can we talk just for a second? You could be doing a million other things on a Sunday morning, but the most important thing that I want you to know today, I'm going to go to my, the end of my sermon, is that God removes all of the obstacles to get to as close to you as possible. But the problem is, is that once he gets close to us, we are so unfamiliar of who he is. So we have to do what? We have to reset the culture of what church is. Why do we come here? Why do we worship? What is the importance of prayer? Why do we give our tithes and offerings? Why is it important for me to invite people that have never been here before? Because if you don't know the purpose of a thing, you're always going to abuse it. And the church has been being abused by its people for far too long. So here we go. I want to do, can I do a study? Can I do a test? Okay, I want everybody to stand up. That feels like it. I want you to stand up real quick. Stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. Here we go. I want you to sit down if you've ever thought this. You ready? Church is too long. God, don't. Okay. Church is boring. Church is boring. They just want my money. All right, brother, I see you. No worries. I feel you. No one knows my name. This church is clicky. I can't trust the pastor. Keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me because we're going to go there this morning. I can't trust the pastor. I don't have the right clothes. I have to work at 10 o'clock. Someone who hurt me still goes to that church. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your honesty. The church is full of cliques and people that won't let me in. They only teach about salvation and the cross, but not about Jesus' life. It feels more like policies, rules, and regulations, and I'm not interested in going to jail again. The last one. My heart was broken in the church and nobody taught me how to love God. I want you to take your seats. These are just a couple of questions that as I was studying, I was trying to figure out why people stopped coming to church. Listen to this. If unchurched Americans were their own nation, they would be the eighth largest nation in the world with 156 million people, and that's just from the U.S. What if we took all the unchurched people in the entire world? The nation would probably be a a little bit larger. 
Listen to this. One in seven pastors right now is under the age of 40, with the other six averaging being over 56 years old. That tells you one of a couple of things. Churches are getting older, and pastors don't know how to pass it on. So the generation that needs church the most is unattracted because the person in the pulpit can't relate to them. That's not what's happening here because we understand succession and our pastor understands that. But I just want to make sure that you know that places outside of this place are dying because they're doing more funerals than they are weddings. Like, they're doing more funerals than they are doing baby dedications because people aren't coming to church because they feel uncomfortable. So they can't even hear that. Can we talk this morning, please? Like, they don't even want to hear the message of the good news of Jesus Christ because they're worried about when I walk in, somebody's going to look at me because I don't have a three suit that's $600. All I have is these jeans, these J's, and this jacket. So I can't walk into that place because I won't be accepted. 49% of all church giving happens via debit and credit card. But 75% of churches around America refuse to use this service because they refuse to learn how to use their funds. Technology is changing like every second, but the church is 10 years behind. And they justify it by saying there's no reason for us to have our phones in church. According to Google, listen to this, every day there are 30,000 searches a month related to online church. Some of their questions are, where can I find a church five minutes from me? What church looks like me? You can literally go online, put a picture of yourself or like, like link your social media, and the algorithm will match your photos. It'll match your photos, your friends, and your likes to a church in your area that might fit you. Another one of the questions is, where is a church where I can know the pastor, feel the pastor, and learn how he loves his family? Another question that they ask is, what church can I join that requires the least amount of work from me? Are we starting to feel the weight? Okay, here we go. So there's been a study over the last five years of 136 million people by the Reiner's Research Group where they asked people why they don't go to church. And I really want you to write these down because Pastor Martin talked about fishing. And in this entire sermon, I mean, I'm sorry, in this entire sermon series, We're going to learn how to do church, but we're going to learn how to invite people into an environment that not just loves them, but calls them to be better people around other people that aren't perfect, but are progressing. Can we we say that? I'm not perfect, but I'm progressing. Come on, say it like you mean it. I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm progressing. But the problem is, is that the culture is turned into, once you get into the church, we act perfect, and then we get frustrated with other people's progression. The same progressive steps that it took you to get to this perfect space. Now we think that other people are dirty because they're taking the same steps. Here we go. One third of the 156 million people believe that they lost their faith in church because of a leader's immorality. The pastor's not perfect. The pastor steps on his wife. The pastor drinks, why can't I? The pastor smokes, why can't I? The pastor does this, that, and the other. You ever been in a place where you looked up to somebody and they did something that hurt your heart so bad that you couldn't even go to that place anymore? Sometimes it's a family member. Sometimes it's a school teacher. But every person has experienced where you put somebody up on a level so much higher than they are supposed to be. So you come to church for the pastor and not for God. Eight out of ten churches are in the decline. Wow. Two out of ten think that church is important in their personal development, but don't believe that they need God in a church. They can get it by themselves. 14% believe that they are not welcome. 45% believe that church is not a person personally relevant to them or their lifestyle. 49% believe that church is insensitive to other people. 25% believe that they don't have the time. You could sit on the toilet playing Candy Crush for three and a half hours. But you can't sit in a one-hour service where somebody's trying to get to you something that you need. Huh, that's tough. 20% think that church is unimportant. And listen to this, 46% of adults with children bring their kids to church for moral foundation, but they believe that it's too far gone for them. That means that parents, and I trust that I know absolutely nothing. I'm just sharing with you research and the facts of God. That's all I'm doing this morning. 
But the study basically says that out of the, 1. 5, well, out of the 156 million people, that 46, almost half of them believe that, that their children need God, but they think it's too, I'm too far gone. Like, they need to go, but I, I, it, I, it's, you know, I, I'm too old to meet God. Thinking that God has, like, this age bracket, like, oh, once you make it past 56, like, you know, that, that's it. So I, can, can we jump to the Word just for a second? I want to show you biblically what Jesus wanted the church to be. Is that cool? Okay, Matthew 15, 16, 13 through 20. When Jesus came to the region of Philippi, he asked his disciples, what does he ask them? Who do people say the Son of Man is? Pastor Martin taught an amazing message, was it two weeks ago, on the I am. Like whatever you put at the end of I am, that's what God helps you get to or that's what God shows up in your life as. So they replied, some say that you're John the Baptist, others say that you're Elijah and still others, uh, Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But Jesus said what? He says, but what about you? He's, he asked, who do you say that I am? I think that God is starting to ask the church, who am I? You've been going to church your entire life, but, but do, you even, do you even know me? Yeah, I died on the cross and my blood washed over your sins, most definitely. But like, do you know what my intent is for your life? Like, do you know why you come to church at 10 o'clock in the morning, some 1045? But like, you know what I mean? Like, do you know why you do what you do? Do you know why I died on the cross? And I think that's what Jesus is asking his disciples. But then listen to this. Simon Peter answers. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by what? Flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on what? This rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This is the part that we don't read. The very next statement in the, in the, in the 19th verse, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Listen to this. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. I think one of the most important things is a concept that pastor really helped me out. I started to write this sermon, and when I got to Kansas City and I got into that hotel room where I had that moment with Callie, right, um, I went to open up my laptop, and I was like, all right, where are my notes that I've been working on? And they were gone. And I started to share with my dad. He says, well, share me what you had. And I started to share with him what I had, and he started to correct my doctrine. If, if, if you love somebody enough, and if they love you enough, they will correct you. And if you love them enough, you won't ask any questions. You'll just say yes and amen. So the misunderstanding that we've been taught in the church is that Jesus built his church on Peter. Peter's name means rock. And we get this misunderstanding that when he says, Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. But it wasn't Peter that Jesus was going to build the church on. Jesus was going to build the church on the revelation that Peter got that Jesus was the son of man. So a lot of these churches are crumbling because they're building them on the backs of people. Not on the revelation of the word of Jesus Christ. Can we talk just for a second? Because the word of God basically I read says that if you try to do anything out of your own strength, it's like building on sinking sand. But if you build on the foundation that is the son of God, the man that died on the cross, that, break, that brought back power and dominion, that it'll never fall over. So we have this misunderstanding that the one way to a stronger church is more people. Culture code, right? We're going to become fishers of men. So you would think that the first sermon would be like, you need to bring your friends. No, 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 no. Before we bring people into this house, we need to make sure that the foundation is okay. Before we can tell people to buy into this house that we call the house of God, before you buy any house, you got to do some inspections. Say inspections. Is the foundation okay? Is there running water? What's the foundation look like on this house? Like, like, like what does the ground look like? And we can't build the ground out of broken people. Jesus couldn't use Peter to build. He couldn't build his church on Peter alone because Peter was human. Say human. Means that he has flaws, means that he has issues. So God said, you know what? It wasn't by flesh and blood that you found out who I am. It was by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you some questions. What are you building your life on this morning? 
Are you building your life on some hearsay from a girlfriend at brunch? Are you building your life on a lie that has been told through your family for generations and generations and generations? You can't trust men. Men are terrible. So you build your life on that? What if you were to take the foundation that you're building on, sweep it out, and replace it with the word of God? Like, I want you to think about it because God is, who am I talking to this morning? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. I'll talk to y'all. When you start to build on the right foundation, the sky is the limit. One of the reasons why the church isn't growing is because it's being built on a broken foundation. So people will give their lives to the church, but they get nothing from it because they're the foundation and they can't, the foundation doesn't receive anything. The foundation is underneath the building so that the building can be stood up. When you come and see a building, you ever seen a skyscraper before? Nobody looks at the woodman. Nobody looks at the first national bank and says, man, look at the foundation. That's pretty. Man, that's beautiful. The foundation gets no clout because it's down supporting everything else. Your job is to eat of the fruit of the church of God. Your job isn't to support it because God doesn't need your support. Like, God is so, pow- like, God is so powerful and big by himself that he told Peter, he says, you're not even strong enough to build a church on. So I'm going to build the church on myself, which is the revelation. Think about it. I want you to really think about it. Close your eyes. Every situation in your life, what are you building on top of? Like, I, like I, can this be like the last day that we come to church and like leave the same way we came in? Like, can, can, can we just make the decision today? Like, look at your marriage. Look, look at your education. Look at how, how you see your family. Everybody in my family is broke. Why would you build on top of that? Why don't you build on top of the verse that says anything and everything that you need shall be supplied by the hand of the Father? Like, why don't you build your foundation on something that's contrary to what you believe? I'm sick. No, there's a verse in, there's a verse in the Bible through the revelation of Jesus Christ that says whatever you want, we just read it, whatever you bind in heaven, will be bound on earth. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So why don't we start binding things that aren't right in our lives? I'm not sick. Yes, you're physically sick, yes, but I bind sickness and I slip in the foundation of healing. Like, we ain't got no money. There's some people in the room, I I, I know, because our family's been there, like, you don't even know what lunch you're going to today. You don't know if you're going to eat. Some of you, your children, the last time they had a really good meal was lunch on Friday if they're in a summer camp. But instead of thinking, God, I ain't got no money, why don't you slip on top of the verse for your foundation that says that my God will supply every single one of my needs? Pastor Linnell had a really good point. She wanted me to put the plug in for prayer, but I just want to make sure you understand. If you pray based off of your own foundation, God's just going to hear your needs. But if you pray based off of what God said, God can only hear his own word. So your prayers start to change. It's not, God, I need you to change my situation because it's bad. No, 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 no. What you can later say is that, God, in Genesis 1.26, you created me just like you. So if I'm failing, you failing. So I'm going to have to give you permission to take over my life. The reason why prayer, worship, and the foundation is so important is because we cannot stand by ourselves. The church cannot be built on people because people don't have the blueprint of how it should be built. The blueprint only comes from revelation. The blueprint to build your family only comes by revelation. Later on, we're going to talk about it in the series that Jesus told Peter just to fish on the opposite side of the, of, of the pond at the wrong time of day with the wrong bait. But he catches everything because he said yes and amen to the blueprint that God gave him. How much would your life change if you said yes to God's blueprint and stopped trying to pencil in your own remarks? I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but I'm just asking, like, like look, look at your neighbor and say, how has it been working so far? Look at your other neighbor, like, how has it been working so far? Look behind you, because the person behind you, they breath stink, your, your head is hot, but look at them and say, how, how, like, how has you building your life gone so far? Because our God has resources that are unmatchless. God has bricks that aren't made out of sand. He has bricks that are made out of his word, which has been here since forever and will always be. So Jesus makes it very plain to Peter. He makes it very plain to Peter, and he says, For it was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Today, I want to give you a title. You ready? My title this morning is House Rules. Every time you go to somebody's house, even if they don't tell you, once you walk into the home, the culture tells you what to do. In our house, you take off your shoes. 
And if you keep your shoes on because you keep your shoes on at your house, you're wrong because you're not at your house. When I go to other certain people's house, I don't put salt on their food because they demand that I taste it before I eat it. Why well, I always put salt on my food, but this isn't your house. So you're going to taste what we cooked before you put something on it. And it's disrespectful for me to do that, even if that's what I like to do, because it's not my house. These four walls are not. It's the house of God. Like, I want to make sure you understand. Like, we can walk into the building and be like, oh, this is my church. Most definitely, God gives us the ability to take ownership of this is my space. But I think that God wants to remind us of these are the house rules when you come into my house. Like, this is my house. You ever try to spank somebody else's kid at their house? They need a whooping, but it's not your house. Okay, how many of you ever got spanked by somebody that wasn't your parents? There it is. My parents, I swear they gave everybody permission. They would be whooping me. I'd be like, yo. <laughs> Look at your neighbor say, it's not your house. But it's the house of the Lord. So why would you walk into his house and put your feet on the furniture and it's not your home? Like, why do we walk into the house of God and expect things in it that he never said he was going to give us? The word of God doesn't say that once you walk into the house of God, your sins will be forgiven so that you can keep sinning and come back every time you mess up so that you can get forgiveness over and over again. The word of God says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your and believe in your that Jesus is Lord, then you shall be saved. He also, Jesus also said something to another person that was sinning, and he said, hey, I want you to do something. I want you to turn around and do what? Sin no more. So the rules of the house have been set, but I want to make sure you understand, and this is my first point. It's not my notes, but I want to make sure you understand this. You can't break house rules. House rules break you. Every person in this room has had a parent, had a father figure, mother figure, and we've all had that conversation. If you're anything like me, if you don't like the rules, then you can just go. If you don't like the rules, you can go. And then we get upset with God, but God is saying that these house rules were made before you were even sustained in the earth. So here we go. There's only five. Look at your neighbor and say he only has five. The first foundational piece in the house rules of the house of God, the number one is evangelism. Look at your neighbor and say outreach. There are 256 different times where Jesus tells his disciples, he tells the king, he tells somebody that he's met to go and bring people back to him. Not go and bring them back to what you think God is. He says, no, go and bring them back to me directly. Our job in evangelism is to seek, introduce, and save the lost. That's the lie that we've been told. But let me let you know, you do not have, and I do not have the ability to save anyone. Like, have you ever heard that, that comment, like, oh, when I found God? What are you talking about? Like, God was like, like, thought you were lost. When I found the Lord, he helped me out. And Jesus is probably like, you didn't, I don't lose anything. The word of God says that I know every single grain of sand on the earth by name. Like, my blueprint, my thumbprint is on everything. You really think that I forgot where you were? We need to start changing that. It needs to become a thing where we say, like, when God, when, listen, when I reintroduce myself to Jesus, the second point is this, go into your, our communities and bring people to truth, conviction, and freedom through our witness. Evangelism is all about your story. Say your story. There is something that has happened to each and every one of us. There's a, there's a road that you have walked. There's something that you've experienced that proves that God is good, not that you are. The problem is when it comes to evangelism, we tell people our story, and then we don't tell them about how we got there. So I got over pornography. Really? Did you really do it? Or was it by the help of God who helped you do it? Every person that gives you advice might be good advice, but bad practice. Remember we talked about that? Your story is supposed to point people back to God and not to your win. Evangelism doesn't point people to you. It points people to you, you're wrong. So when we start talking about being fishers of men, you use your story as the bait, but the prize is Jesus Christ himself. 
Let, let me tell you my story of how I went through hell, high water, and tribulation. But the only reason I'm telling you my story is because it's a doorway to the man that helped me get through it. So many people want to know when the earth is going to end. Have you ever heard that before? Like, the earth is going to end. Y'all remember uh, 1999? People were selling everything. They house, they wife, everything. I'm selling everything because I ain't going to need it. And then Monday came. <laughs> and people were homeless. But can, can I share with you the only reason that Jesus is going to come back to earth? There's only one in this word. Can, can, can I show you? If you want me to show you, say, show me. show me. There we go. That's a good class. Here we go. Matthew 24, 14. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout what? The whole world. So that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. How many of you have people in your life that don't know Jesus? Jesus ain't coming yet. How many of you, God gave you a revelation that every single person in your family was going to serve him? Do they serve him yet? He ain't coming. I want to make sure that you understand that the, the, the most important foundational part of the church is calling people back to God. Evangelism calls people back to God, doesn't call them back to you. John 14, 9 through 12, Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Like, I've been walking with you for like three years, and you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen what? Seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Some of our relationships, people ask us to meet God, and we should kind of feel disrespected if we know him, because it should be once you've met me, once you've met me, you've met my God. Once you see my life and I'm debt-free and my family loves each other and we're not killing one another, we might be choking each other out, but it's out of love. Like, that should be enough proof that the person that I serve is not better than you, but that can give you a better life. You ever been in that situation where somebody looks at you and they're like, you're just different. Like, like we both lost our job, but you just wear being unemployed a little bit different. Like, dude or the girl cheated on you, left you, had a baby by another person, but you, you just... You just seem so joyful. Like what, like, what, like, what is it? We just had this overturn in, in the economy, and we ain't got no money, but you always eating. Like, there's, there's something different about you. Write this one down. Your life should tell the story of how good God is. That's enough evangelism in itself. It shouldn't take your pastor to come up here and say, hey, we need people to come to church. Because the misinterpretation is that the pastor needs people to come to church to pay his salary. But the pastor needs other people to come into church to make his job easier. The word says to go out into all the world, all the nations, and make disciples, right? But what if we had them all here in this space? We could save our time, we could save our energy, and we can serve our resources if everybody can hear the same message at the same time. Second point, you ready? Discipleship. Teaching. The second foundational piece of the church is discipleship. This is where we edify the believers by teaching them the basic doctrines and beliefs of the Christian faith. Remember what we talked about at the beginning of service, that people don't even know how to pray. And, like, it's really interesting. Like, we've been in church, like, I have friends of mine, well, I have colleagues of mine. that I've been in church with them for 26 years, and they still are awkward when it comes to prayer. Like, can you pray? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody, uh, bow, your, bow, your, bow your eyes and close your head real quick. <laughs> uh, God and them... Uh, we, we just want to, like, how awkward is it that you can't even speak your native tongue? How, like, how, how difficult would that be to have children, to have family members that, it's not that they can't talk to you, they just make the decision not to. And when they do, they don't even know how to communicate with you. The second form is discipleship. The church's responsibility is to teach people to maturity in their walk with God so that they are no longer reliant on a Sunday service. Our job is to teach you to not need Sunday morning because this Sunday morning service is about to shift to not feed you. You've been eating here for way too long to not know what's on the menu. And you've been eating here way too long to not know what you like on the menu. The only reason that the church was built was once you know God, God cleans you up, he turns you around and uses you to serve the people. 
You don't go work at Burger King and eat the burgers. They will fire you. And if you are going to eat the burger, you either have to pay for it or wait until you're on break. It's going to get to the point where 98 or the larger percentile of people in this church don't know God. And I just want to make sure I burst your bubble. Our job is to disciple them, not to coddle you. You're supposed to know God. Can we talk? You're supposed to know God. There's people out there that don't know him. So why would you be frustrated if you can't sit on the front row? You already know what it's like being up there. There's somebody out there, there's somebody in your relationship pool, there's somebody in your roster, your network of people that needs God more than you because you already know him. Our job is to lead them to become spiritually mature in the word of God so that they don't need a Sunday service. So that every Sunday service turns into you serving others rather than you trying to make it here so that you can make it through the week. Discipleship is undergirding their commitment and creating stability through our own support through them. If you have to keep helping somebody, maybe it's not that they're not getting the point. Maybe it's because we're not doing a good job of teaching them who God is. You ever been in a classroom and you just didn't get the concept and the teacher blamed you? You're just slow. You just don't get it. Like, like what's going on? Like, no, maybe you're just a bad teacher. So the one way that we become better teachers in the word of God is when we come to church on Sunday and we become equipped with the word that comes on Sunday. So that when we go Monday through Saturday, when we meet somebody at the grocery store, when we meet somebody at the mailbox, when we meet somebody at the gas station and they're going through something, we don't have to wait to bring them to church on Sunday. They can meet God right there at the pump. Like, who am I talking to? When you're, at the, when you're going to pick up your kids from school and the mother is crying and she's trying to figure out, you don't have to invite, well, you, you, know, you could come to church on a Sunday. No, 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 no. Let me explain to you who the God of our nation is. He's a God that can be the father to these children and a father to you at the same time. You become equipped so that you do not have to become reliant on a two-hour Sunday morning service because you are the church. Lord, have mercy. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. Here's the scripture for those of you that didn't hear all that other stuff in the past 10 minutes. Here it is. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses his own word to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Sunday morning is not the good work. What you do Monday through Saturday proves if you were listening. That's why you can do all the homework in these new systems that they're creating for our educational students. That's why homework now is optional. It's all about the test. Because you can do okay on the, in the homework, but it comes to that one point of the test if you know what you're talking about. Coming to church is homework. Meeting somebody at the grocery store is the test. So you can do a good job of coming to church and being here early and doing a good job of lifting your hands and praise and worship and a good job of giving your tithes and offering. But the test is when somebody's going through something, are you going to lead them back to him or are you going to meet them at, on Sunday morning in the parking lot? When people meet you, do they meet God or do they meet an opportunity to come to a building? Because there's a long period of time between, Saturday, um, between Tuesday and Sunday, Jason. Something might happen to that person where they might not make it to church on Sunday. So my job is to be the God in their life as a representative, as an ambassador of the king in that moment. You ever been in a situation where you needed something now and the person said, I'll get back to you? How does that feel? That means you think that what I'm going through isn't urgent enough to give me an answer. But I want to make sure that you understand that there are people that are going to be called to this place that are going to fill up the purple chairs that need an answer now. Say now. now. Not tomorrow. Now. now. Not next week. Now. Like, I can't just not eat for the next couple of days. I need food now. Well, I'll get back to you on Tuesday. The body can only go so many days without food. Like, what are you talking? We cut it kind of close, Doc. Like, like. Third point. Look at your neighbor say third point. The third point is fellowship. Once we have evangelized and brought them in, once we've discipled and made them a part of the culture teaching them, the third part is, communi is, is community. Once you've learned the house rules and you're a part of the house, now we can spend some time together. We find encouragement by doing life together. Christ-centered conversation is supposed to encourage each believer to continue to grow and mature in the things of the Lord. If you're talking to somebody and every time they talk to you, it feels like you're being beat up, they're not using God's words. 
If every time you talk to somebody, they're trying to make you feel guilty for something that you already asked for forgiveness for, that's not the word of God. God, I want, like, I want you to understand the character of God. We talked about it in our last series, Unmovable God, but God does not speak to you with guilt as the end goal. Like, God does not speak to you to make you feel dirty. The only words that come out of God's mouth are love and life. In the word, it also said that God is literally the physical embodiment of love. So after I've met you, I've brought you into the church, when we have community, what this is here, we're only supposed to love on each other. We're worshiping our God most definitely, but you're rubbing shoulders with somebody else that loves God just like you. Like, ought you be able to look at them and say, like, it's so awesome to see you this morning. One of God's house rules is that when you walk into the house, you speak. It is disrespectful in the South where my granny is for you to walk in the house and not say something. Uh, You will catch one of the most furious flip-flops of your life. Like, I mean... Bad. If you walk into the house and don't say anything, you walk into the house with praise and worship in your mouth, but you also walk into the house of God saying, hey, how are you doing? I haven't seen you in seven days, Galen. How's your business doing? Hey, Uncle Steve, it's your birthday today. Like, like, happy birthday, man. What are we doing after church? Like, your job is to create community, not just assume that a whole bunch of people in a room is a community. That's just a group of people. 100,000 people in a room isn't a community if they don't know one another. And if you don't know anything about the person, the one thing that you have in common, say the one thing. thing. Come on, say the one thing you have in common. We serve the same God. And let me let, I'm going to let you know something. That's enough. The old people, they used to have this thing like when I think of the goodness of Jesus and everybody starts to catch it because I can connect with that. Maybe not, maybe not what you're going through, but God's been good in my life. So I'll connect with what God did for me and we can worship together. Like you shouldn't have to worship by yourself. Sometimes when we're singing worship up here, we get it wrong because we think we're supposed to take you to a place that we've been. Our job is to worship for some people that can't do it for themselves. Some of you know some people in this room, you've been talking all week, like they're going through. And sometimes by them seeing you worship, they get what they need. Our job as a community is to know one another. Amen. So here it is. Fellowship only comes after uh, after conversion. Everything else is just participation. I I want to share something with you. Is that cool? So in the Greek, you see this word behind me? This word's called ecclesia. Um, Our pastor has literally been like, he's been telling me and he's he's made sure that I know all of my word in the Greek and the Hebrew because the, the English is such a limited language. Like, do you know that in Japanese, um, in Japanese, they have over 250 different names for the word love. Like, our words are so, are so small. That's why prayer is so important, because when you speak in tongues, you're speaking to God in his heavenly language, and you don't have to know what you're talking about. He just knows. Oh, my goodness. So anyway, the word ecclesia, I want you to write this down. The word ecclesia literally means the church. It literally means the church. And we used, we, 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 we used to do these, uh, anybody ever taken like geography, social studies? I mean, if you got out of fifth grade, you did. <clears throat> but remember when we did communion last week? So when we talk about communion, we, let's, 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 let's talk about the people that were in that time. At that time, when they talked about communion, the Romans actually believed that when the Jews and the Hebrews took communion, that they literally had taken Jesus' body, chopped him up, taken his blood and put it on reserve. And when they did communion, they were literally eating his body. But on the opposite end of the spectrum in another country, the Greeks took everything word for word and they followed it. So when Jesus comes to earth and he starts explaining that the kingdom of God is like this, the kingdom of God is like this, this is how the kingdom of God works, the Greeks themselves started to change their own culture to follow what Jesus was saying. They didn't accept him, but they accepted the culture. The world is not accepting Jesus, but they're accepting the culture. That's why you can see people that hate God spit in his face and are almost atheists, but they're winning at life because they don't love God, but they see that the way that, the way that his life was set up, I can get with that. And this is the funny thing. God doesn't respect people, so it doesn't matter if you serve him or not. His word has to work. So why don't, look at your neighbor. So, so just try it. Just, just try it. When God says to do something, just do it. Like, why, like why are you fighting God? God's going to be here when you're dust and when your great, 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 great grandkids don't even know who you are. Like, just try it so you can live your short little life, like, you know, happy. 
Life is long. But you know what I'm saying? Like compared to Jesus, it's like a, it's a blip. Lord have mercy. Anyway, so the Ecclesia is made up of three different individuals in the Greek. Like, have you guys seen um, uh, 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 300? You remember when the king and the queen, they go to like that council of people with all those guys in the robes? Remember? And they all seem like they're so smart and they walk like this. You know what I'm saying? And they have one, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like those, those, those folks. The Ecclesia was actually made up of only three people, and I want you to write this down. It was made up of one person, which was the, the priest. It was another person who was the prophet. So the priest spoke for God. The prophet interpreted what was said by the, by, by the priest, and then the king. The word Ecclesia means this. The first part, eklo, means out of. And the last part, kaleo, means to call together. So the word ecclesia literally means to come together and to be sent out. So if the word ecclesia means church, that means that we are no good in the building. Ecclesia means for us to do what? Come together and do what? Be sent out. That's why when we read our word, every time that Jesus has us meet, he doesn't have us meet in a church. He has us meet with other people that don't know him. He tells his fishermen, I'm going to meet you in this city that you don't know of. And when they got there, there was just a gang of people that didn't know God. Anytime Jesus sent prophets or sent people to other cities, it was always in a city that was this close to being destroyed because God was like, I'm through. I've had it. I'm going to kill them all. So you go and fix their mind. If they don't fix it, I'm going to kill them anyway. Like, God always sends you to dirty places. So stop looking for everything to be squeaky clean when you get there. Like, your best friend doesn't know God and they stink with sin for a reason. Like, because they don't know him. So you shouldn't be afraid of the stench because you use it something like that too. Here we go. Number four, service. Can you say service? service? This is about pouring out. The fourth foundational piece is service, pouring out. We are called to serve others. Once you have helped yourself, help others. Once you put the oxygen mask on your own face, your job is to find as many people as you can and give them the life of God. But it says taste first and see that the Lord is good, right? So if you don't know that God is good, it's impossible for you to share with somebody else how good he is. So your time spent on Sunday is to be reminded of how God has brought you through so that when you tell your story to somebody else, you can remind them God's still good. Regardless of what you're going through, God always comes through. Well, how do you know? Well, look at my life. Like, look at my life. I'm, I'm giving you a service by proving to God how good he is, but how great my life is, not to beat you up with. Your job is not to be blessed. Our job is not to receive blessings from God to beat up people over the head with him. Look at my car. Look at my house. My man, fine. Yes, but let me show you how to get yours too. Those who have mastered their own gifts and abilities are the most used in church because they're willing to do over and above what is asked because they're called by God and not by the man that stands up here. Why do you serve? Do you serve to be seen? Do you serve just because it's a requirement? Or do you serve because your heart is called to serve other people that don't know him yet? When you usher, are you ushering with the love of God? When you sweep the, the floors, are you sweeping knowing that when I sweep this floor, God, it's, it's to your name and you're going to bless me. But somebody that walks in this place isn't going to see the building dirty. And by not seeing the building dirty, they're going to trust this place. Any of you ever had to clean your house when like, you had company coming over? My mama likes our house to be so clean, it looks like nobody lives there. Like, this is my room. Uh-uh, nobody lives here. Like, what's the, what's the point? Like, like I want to see the lines and the carpet. No, nope, we haven't walked in this room since the last time that it was, since it was vacuumed. Do you make up God's house as if it was your own? Fifth and final point. Say fifth and final. The fifth and final point of the house rules is worship. Can you say worship? This is Thanksgiving. Our relationship is both private and public. In the word of God, there's 8,629 times where we are told to worship God. There are over 15 different battles in our word that were won just by the people worshiping in the midst of their enemies. Joshua, right? Joshua literally is walking around the Jericho, and on the seventh day, God says, all right, I just want you to worship me. Like, they got axes and cannons, bro. You want me to lift my hands and worship you? Yeah. Because what I'm going to bring you through, I don't want there to be any smell of you on it. So that when I bring you through, people will look at your life and they'll be pointed back to me and not to you. 
Worship is a place and a time for God to visit all of us at the same time, at the same presence. It also is a public display and feeling of how we feel about him. Like, worship isn't about how cool you can look. Like, it's not about how much, like, oh, there's a new girl in the church and she's single. Let me go worship like I love God. Oh, do you see me? Look how holy I am. No, 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 no. Worship is your display to God how much you love him. It's, 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 a physical, it's a physical representation of God. I don't care if there's anybody in this room. I want to make sure that, 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 I want to make sure that you see me this morning. So here we go. Hebrews 10, 5. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. One thing that I want to, I had an illustration, but I'm just going to give it to you verbally. Um, a lot of times people will fight, um, they'll fight so hard to get into a place that once they get into the place, they'll use just as much energy to keep people out. I'm ready, guys. Um, no, 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 you're, you're good, no illustration. Jason, I'm ready. People will fight so hard to get into church to get their life clean that they think that once they've gotten there that their spot is reserved. You ever walked into church and had somebody sitting in your seat? No. I just... And you think it's your seat, but you didn't pay anything for it? The worship team sings a song and you don't necessarily like it for you, but sometimes the word of the Lord comes for the person that doesn't know him, not for the person that knows all the songs in our songbook. The last rule in God's, um, the last rule in God's house rule is that you're always supposed to hold the door open for someone else. That's the last rule. I want you to write that down. The last rule when you, when you enter into the house of God, the first thing that you're supposed to do is uh, you're, you're supposed to be an evangelist by bringing people in. You're supposed to disciple by teaching people. You're supposed to fellowship together with community. You're supposed to service one another by serving each other. And you're supposed to worship by giving thanksgiving. But the last rule, say the last rule, is to always open the door for someone else. but there's somebody in the room this morning that you're literally walking around and you're homeless. Like you, 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 don't, you don't have a home. And you might have been walking around this building for the past couple of Sundays, but you haven't claimed it yet. You haven't claimed Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You haven't claimed the man that we've talked about. And it sounds good, but you haven't necessarily taken the leap of faith to say, God, I just want to give you everything that I want. And you know, I'm just going to commit the next four weeks to being in this house. Can we all stand right quick?